This is the Christian Circle podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Hello everyone. Happy Advent. So this is our first Sunday of Advent and it's also our 80th episode of the Christian Circle podcast. And so I just want to take the time to wish everybody a very blessed and a very happy Christmas season, a very happy Advent season. We are also going to do an episode today with Dr. Kevin Wost on loneliness. And just as a reminder for all the people who are listening out there, if you know somebody who's lonely, especially the homebound, the infirm, the sick, the neighbor who doesn't have anybody, then this Christmas I urge you to go out, say a few good words, eat a meal, share some coffee with all of those people, and try and make a difference in the lives of the lonely. So thank you so much for listening to us and for helping us make it to 80 episodes. And... Hopefully you will enjoy today's podcast. Have a wonderful Christmas season and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of the Christian Circle podcast and today we have a new guest who's going to talk to us about loneliness, especially as we're coming upon the holiday season. And so we have Dr. Kevin Bost, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's going to talk to us about loneliness, and he's actually written a book on the subject. So Kevin, welcome, and tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on, Pamela. And yes, the name is Kevin Vost. I live in Springfield, Illinois, in the central Illinois. It's the city of, uh, that was the city of Abraham Lincoln. I live here with my wife, Kathy, and we have two adult sons and uh, three grandchildren, uh, professionally, I worked for 32 years in the uh, disability evaluation field for Social Security uh, Administration, uh, evaluating mental and physical disability cases for children and adults. Uh, during that time, I also obtained a doctorate in clinical psychology and specialized in, in neuropsychology or examining things like a brain injury, uh, Alzheimer's disease, we focused on normal aging. Uh, and I did my dissertation work at the uh, local medical school at their Alzheimer's Center. Uh, after that, I, I taught college at various colleges, including the University of Illinois at Springfield and Aquinas College in Nashville, Tennessee for several years, uh, part-time. I have been uh, retired from full-time work since 2016, and I just now I write books and do, do talks and things like that. Uh, as far as my faith journey, I'll just tell you very briefly, I was raised a Catholic, in my late teens, I read the wrong kinds of philosophers, uh, became an atheist, considered myself an atheist for 25 years until I read the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas in my early 40s. And to my amazement, I found myself back with Christ, back with the church, a full you know, strong believer again. And, and since that time then, and that was in 2004, shortly after I started writing Catholic books because I discovered even while I was away from the church, God was preparing me as I was learning things that could be put into the service of the church. So since I've come back, I've written 20 Catholic books and four more in various stages right now. And they deal with various psychological uh, and theological topics. And most of them pull in one way or another uh, from the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas. Wow. So uh, you're the, the second fan that I'm meeting of, um, you know, of Aquinas and, and hopefully someday uh, in the future, people will be reading your books and, and coming back to the church like you did with Aquinas. <laughs> oh, thank you. I can hope and pray so. I've met a few people who have through, through the good St. Thomas. Wow. So 
since you wrote about uh, loneliness, um, and I know this was not on our list of questions, what made you write about this particular subject? Yes, yes, because most of the books, you know, I, I offer these ideas to the publishers, but sometimes they'll reach out to me. And this is one where, where the publisher, Sophia Institute Press, they did reach out to me, knowing my background as a psychologist. Mm -hmm. uh, they were aware of this literature on a growing epidemic mm -hmm. of loneliness. And this was going on, well, like the year 2000, I think 16 is when they approached me. So long before our, our COVID situation, there was concern about this growing uh, loneliness in the world, and they asked me if I'd be interested in writing about it. I honestly did not know much about it, but when I started doing my research, I was really wowed. You know, I was unaware of this a problem of this magnitude, so I was happy to do that. So I tried to survey all the, the research out there in psychology and medicine, uh, actual research articles, uh, insights from, from clinical people who worked with people who were lonely to try to put together a guide that would, you know, give both people who are lonely themselves and people who have family members or others they know who are lonely to help give them some things, some ideas, what, what can we help uh, to do about this? So right now we're like on the cusp of the holiday season and there will be lots of people who will feel, despite the fact that they're surrounded by people, you know, they feel lonely. Now, how is being lonely different from being alone? And how do we know that we are alone? I mean, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a party and you're surrounded by so many people, but still, how do you know you're at this moment lonely? Yeah, that's a very important distinction because it has been pointed out for a long time ago. Even the American writer Mark Twain talked about how lonely I believe he was in New York City, even though he's surrounded by millions of people, he didn't feel uh, connected to them. On the other hand, there, there can be some people who, who are isolated, who are living in, in solitude for periods of time who don't necessarily feel lonely. Mm -hmm. uh, you could be surrounded, like, like I said, at the holidays, some people may, if they're, if they're able to get together with family and friends at the holidays and yet still feel lonely. So, so what is that distinction between being alone and, and actual loneliness? Well, in, in the researchers and clinicians usually define loneliness as a perceived isolation. It's you, you feel like your social connectedness is not what it should be. You feel there's a, there's a lack there. And the degree of connectedness a person needs to feel not to be lonely will vary from person to person. But I will point out, I like two distinctions that are sometimes made in describing loneliness. One, they will talk about uh, an emotional isolation, a sense that you don't really have close confidence, somebody can really tell your, your, your deepest secrets to. And mm -hmm. some studies in the United States from the 1980s to the early 2000s showed that more and more people reported they did not have even, even one close confidant. I know that the data showed in 1985, one person in 10 said, you know, I don't really have anybody I can share these, these deep, important issues with. So one person in 10 in 1985, 20 years later, they found that moved up to one person in four. You know, so this, this, this growing sense of this emotional isolation. But the second broader sense, they sometimes call just a, a social, a sense of social isolation, where maybe you do have some close friends or some dear family members, but you feel a little bit disconnected at the broader level. Like you don't feel that you're meaningful, a meaningful part of a group. Maybe your maybe your coworkers at work or your schoolmates if you're a student or or your parishioners, maybe if you belong to a parish, so things like that. So it's basically 
either or, or both, you know, you feel this lack of a close social confidant or emotional confidants, or you feel like you don't fit into broader groups in the way that you'd like. So just in, in essence, you can have one or both, uh, but it's this feeling that your connectedness is not what it should be. So it's a feeling of, of discomfort over the situation. What is the problem with being lonely? Why is it not good to be lonely? Why should we, we seek uh, community and, and parish and you know uh, other people? Yeah, that, that is a very essential question because in the short term, some researchers point out that in a certain way, it's good to be lonely because it's, it's a, as you suggested there, it is a really a, a kind of a warning signal because we are meant, we're not meant to be alone for extended periods of time. We are meant to be social and, and with each other, you know, with family, with friends, as, as a member of a church, as a part of the body of Christ. So, so if we feel, hey, you know, I don't feel this connectedness, it's been compared to, in a sense, pain, you know, or and also it's been compared to thirst. It's kind of a warning. Hey, you know, I don't like this feeling. It hurts. Or I'm kind of thirsting for some connection. So it can motivate us to go out there and hopefully and connect. But why is it not good to be lonely? If this loneliness tends to persist for a long time, you know, if it's not motivating us to get out there and connect, or maybe if we try a few times at first and it doesn't seem to be happening, if loneliness persists over time, it, it can be very detrimental to our mental and they're even showing our physical health. Some say that prolonged loneliness compares to things like, uh, you know, obesity and certain other hypertension, certain other diseases as a risk factor for, you know, shortened lifespan. So prolonged, this prolonged feeling of not relating to each other is not good for us mentally or physically. One of the things that I often um, say is if we're experiencing something is to often look at the example of Christ. How does he deal with, you know, whatever situation we've gone through, whether it's hurt, whether it's shame, whether it's betrayal. And loneliness is something that Christ himself experienced, uh, something that he, he didn't want. And he tried to keep his, his people together, even at the last, last minute before he he prays that, you know, let them all be one. So your book talks a lot about Christ's example and draws from his, his last moments. So what can we learn from Jesus himself when it comes to loneliness? Uh, yes, I try to kind of pattern the book where we kind of move our way towards Christ. Christ's example is the ultimate chapter. We look at things like, you know, psychological methods we can all use. We look at growing in virtue. We look at the example of, of some saints, you know, people who particularly tried to be like Christ and what they can teach us. But that ultimate example, you know, is Christ himself. And there have been some theologians who, who argued that Christ's loneliness on the cross may have been even a greater pain to him than the physical pain. Mm -hmm. So we need to think about this, you know, Christ, you know, God chose to become human for us and to suffer immensely for us, you know, not only physically, but, but emotionally. So before I get on the focus on the cross, though, as I was researching this book, I came across a book by a saint from the 14 and 1500s, St. Thomas uh, More. And he wrote this amazing book called The Sadness of Christ while he was awaiting his own execution in the Tower of London from, from King Henry the, the Eighth, And he meditated a lot on Christ's own suffering and loneliness. And he really zoomed in, even before the cross, on Christ's night of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we recall this, it's reported in all the Gospels. He goes up to pray, you know, knowing his, his, his passion, his death on the cross looms 
ahead of them. He brings their three of his dearest friends, Peter, James, and John. Jesus goes off to pray and he asks them, you know, to stay awake, to be there for him while he prays. We, we learn that he goes and he prays. He throws himself on the ground, prays to God. He says he's, he's fearful. He's anxious almost unto death. He actually uh, sweats of blood. But then an hour or so later, he comes back to his friends and he finds they've all fallen asleep. You know, they were not there for him. So he, he asks them, you know, wakes them if they would stay awake for him. He goes back, he prays again. This happens three times. And each time, you know, he's found to his disappointment that his friends, you know, that they were not, they were not there for him in his greatest power, a time of need. And yet, you know, and yet there was another friend, another disciple, or at least a man who pretended to be his friend. Judas Iscariot, you know, was wide awake and was plotting, you know, plotting for Jesus's death. So, you know, later in the Gospels, we read that when, when Judas comes with the others to arrest Jesus, the Jesus' first word is, words to him to paraphrase are, you know, basically, what brings you here, my friend? Mm -hmm. So he's calling, you know, Judas, his friend, but, but Judas is there then to betray him. Mm -hmm. You know, so we can just, just imagine then Christ, you know, before he's even on the cross, He's relying on these three dear friends and they let him down. This other friend is actively betraying him. So I think it, it, one thing it can do, make us aware of Christ's suffering, that if we're suffering from loneliness, we're not the only ones. Jesus uh, did, uh, you know, he, he did himself. And it can also make us kind of reflect, you know, well, ha have we let down or maybe have friends let us down when we're uh, in need or have we let other people down when they are in need. So it can open us up to all kinds of reflections on the reality of loneliness uh, and what we might do to try to, to help people who are lonely. So there are two aspects to this. Um, what steps can we personally take when we know we're feeling lonely? And what steps can we take to recognize other people's loneliness and help them? Yes, yes. Okay, so what do, what do we do when we're feeling lonely? Well, it is, it is you know, a feeling. So if you, if you feel in a, in a certain sense, if you feel lonely to some extent, you are because it is your own perception, you're feeling disconnected. So, so one thing is to just to, to be aware of it. In certain cases, we want to be able to admit it. There's some, there's like stigma associated with being lonely. Mm -hmm. I know one researcher said he would give big talks on loneliness. He would ask the audience, who in this crowd has been lonely at some point in their life? And he said, virtually everybody put their hand up. Then he'd say, well, who's lonely right now? And almost no one ever would, because it almost implies, you know, that you're admitting something's wrong with you. I'm lonely. You know, well, why do people reject me? Why don't I have connections? So, you know, we need to be willing to admit that in ourselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it, and when we do realize that we're lonely, then we do need to make some steps uh, to, to, to change that. And again, there can be good reasons that we're lonely. Maybe a person's bereaved. They just lost a, a loved one, a spouse or a parent or a sibling, you know, there can be good reasons for that. But we do need to start to make the steps that once we're over our, you know, mourning, we try to reconnect, form new friendships, strengthen old bonds. So one of the steps, the psychological research shows that if people are lonely for a long time, sometimes their, their, their thinking gets distorted. They call mm -hmm. this maladaptive social cognition. So people who are lonely for a long time, are more likely to to expect rejection. They'll think, oh, I could reach out to somebody to make a friend, but they're not going. They're not going to. They're going to reject me. Mm -hmm. You know, who cares about me? Your thinking can get disturbed this way, mm -hmm. and it can also color people's 
memories. They might be more likely to think about times they were rejected or where someone let them down in the past mm -hmm. and not and forgetting all those good times that might encourage them to reach out again. So, so the people who are lonely need to be very careful, take a good look at their thinking, make sure it's accurate, and then just get out there and try to do those little things to reconnect with other people in the smallest of ways, you know, even, even expecting, maybe I'll be rejected. Maybe I'll ask someone to go do something with me and then they'll say no, or they'll make some excuses. Well, that might really happen. But I can do it again with someone else. You know, I can try again. So it's a, ma a matter of trying to think about things differently and then just trying to take some actions. Mm -hmm. And I will note that, that many of the people who are involved with the lonely note that this is what they need to do most. They need to reach out. Mm -hmm. But it also tends to be a very, very hard thing for them to do if they're in this state where they're thinking, you know, it's a bit distorted. So that kind of also leads us into that second step. What do we do to be aware? Uh, of the other people who are lonely and then what we can do to help them. Well, on the spiritual level, one thing when I was writing this book, I started incorporating in my brief prayers every day is just to say, you know, God, you know, please, please open my eyes to the lonely. Make me be aware of them. When I go out there today, I'm going to come across lonely people. Now, probably none of them are going to tell me they're lonely, mm -hmm. you know, but we need to keep our eyes open for a person who maybe is, is social, is isolated in a social setting. People are together in some group activity. Here's a person off by themselves. Well, mm -hmm. maybe in that case, maybe we can walk over them, you know, to them, try to take some gesture. There's a Catholic blessed, a young man, blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati, a very dynamic, athletic, young Italian guy who, who died in his early 20s. Mm -hmm. But but his sister said about him, whenever he went to a social gathering, he would kind of look for the person who seemed the most isolated, the most lonely, maybe the most down, and he would seek them out first mm -hmm. and try to make some contact, you know, try to have a conversation with them. So I think that's one thing we can do. Be aware, studies show maybe one person out of three in the United States now really feels lonely. Mm -hmm. So chances are we're going to come across lonely people every day. So some we can specifically seek out, but even in our super superficial interactions with people, you know, at the grocery store, at the gym, when we go to church, when we go to work, mm -hmm. just simple gestures, making eye contact, smiling, you know, saying hello, mm -hmm. showing the people we meet that we recognize, hey, you're there and you're, you're important, you know, can go a long way towards helping people who are suffering from loneliness. And what about the people who actually choose to do this uh, deliberately in the sense that they choose to be lonely, either because they have been rejected or they've been hurt or, um, you know, their previous experiences have colored the way they look at life. So what, what about these people? What can you do to convince them that they need to seek, they need a community, they need a parish, they need family? Yeah, that, that is very important. I will say, you know, and not not all cases, but in a certain percentage of cases, we'll find, you know, an overlap of loneliness with something more serious, like a major depression or an anxiety disorder. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean everyone who's lonely has this, but some do. So if a person is just, you know, really poorly functioning in other areas beside in their life and their work or whatever they're doing, you know, they may want to let a mental health or, or even their medical, a regular medical professional know this. You know, I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling sad. Uh, you know, sort of take some steps along those lines. But for the average person, though, how can we convince them? Well, it is true that different people have a different need for social interactions. You know, some people want to be surrounded by a group of people at all times. Other people can get by very, very well, you know, on just one or two close, close confidants. And that is fine. Those, there's individual differences there. But one thing to think of for, for the lonely who are Christians, you know, is that 
there have been great saints throughout history who have purposefully had times of solitude. They've spent, go out into the desert. We had these people called the desert fathers, yeah. and some women, mothers. There are, there are these Irish saints that will go out into the woods. There are Russian saints that will go out into the wilderness. Yeah, it's kind of a worldwide phenomena. Mm -hmm. Some of these saints do purposefully spend significant amounts of time in solitude, you know, in prayer and meditation, doing things on their own. But most of them either come back into the world and then do great things. It's like they charge their batteries mm -hmm. during this time with God to then go out, you know, and reach out to other people. Christ said we're to love God with all that we are. And then to love our neighbors as ourself. So in a sense, you know, we can use that time of solitude to love God with all that we are. And then to get that energy from God to go out there and share that love with others. So even those who are lonely, you might find some solace in solitude, which is a good thing. But we are still called to reach out to others. And I know some modern writers have said that, you know, sometimes people, Christians get this idea of uh, the personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is, of course, essential. We want that. But it's not just you know, me and Jesus, so to speak. You know, <laughs> Jesus calls us to reach out, to be part of a church, to, to recognize other people as our brothers and sisters. So even if you're down, even if you don't feel like reaching out, remember at some point, you may not, you're, you're definitely not, yeah, if you're lonely, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. There are other lonely people out there. And that's kind of the sad irony of this. If the many, many millions of people who are lonely would, would connect with each other, that loneliness could be alleviated, you know? So I'd say, even if you're a lonely person, you're thinking, well, maybe there's no hope for me. Oh, I'm always going to be lonely. So I'll say, okay, well, can you still maybe try to reach out and help somebody else who's lonely, yeah. who, who may not have to remain lonely? And it's good you mentioned all these saints and stuff. Um, so if somebody's taking this in prayer, one of the first steps, what exactly will they pray or is there a novena is there a saying that they can reflect on and experience or do an inner healing retreat or is and is loneliness really a sign that you require some inner healing uh yeah that's a great question too because it could be many many approaches uh to that that loneliness has its psychological dimension and it also has its theological dimension or dimension of our connectedness with god because you know god one thing we must remember god's not going to give us any any cross that we can't bear, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the book of James even says, you know, count it joy when you face trials and tribulations. And though it's hard to be joyful, you know, when, when you're suffering with loneliness, I imagine most of us, I know I can, can look back on a time in your life when you were really suffering, mm -hmm. you know, for, for one reason or another. But then you look back years later and say, boy, thank God. Thank you for giving me that experience mm -hmm. because how I grew from it, you know, how I realized I can endure hard things how maybe it may be more compassionate for other people enduring their hardships. So we need to, to think of that. And I'll think in terms of prayer too, there's, there's one other thing I'll mention uh, in terms of meditation and prayer that involves Christ again himself. And, and that is, okay, even on the cross, he gave us lessons even on the cross to deal with loneliness. Because think about this, some of us might think, well, I'm lonely, but you know, I've never been a real popular person. I'm retired. I don't, maybe I don't go to work anymore. I, I'm elderly or I'm physically disabled. What am I going to do? What can I contribute? Well, think Christ, even when he's nailed on the cross, there, there's a famous tradition of Christ's seven last words on the cross, mm -hmm. seven, you know, several phrases that, that he, seven phrases he makes while he's nailed to the cross. And, you know, the first is, you know, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Well, what's one lesson there? Some of us might be lonely because of estrangement, you know, from other friends or family members. Is there a way we might forgive them and reestablish bonds? Another lesson, think of this. Jesus is there with his hands nailed to the cross, and there's two others with him. 
And that good thief turns to him and Jesus turns to him. And since Jesus forms a bond, he forms a friendship while he and his new friend are both bound to a cross. So there's really kind of no excuse regardless of our situation, you know, that, that we can't reach out like Christ did, you know, follow his example uh, and take care of others. You know, Christ uh, tells uh, John to behold, uh, you know, uh, his mother Mary as his mother. So Jesus is forming those connections with others, even though he knows his ability on earth to form those connections uh, is soon going to end. So I think, you know, Christ himself, if we read through the scripture, read through the gospels, is going to give us all kinds of inspiration, how to endure the cross of our own loneliness, but how to still try to, to reach out to other lonely people while we're here on earth. That's fantastic, actually. I really like that. Would you have any last tips or advice, last famous words to the people, especially going through the holiday season right now, and they are going to face loneliness or are feeling lonely currently? Yes, for, for the holiday season, I would say that. When you have get-togethers, try to address, you know, if like your family, try to address, make sure you've addressed every single person there. Ask them about their life. Show some, so show some interest there, you know, face-to-face -to, -face to every single person in your gathering, if you're able to. And for the people who maybe can't gather, there's COVID restrictions, they live far mm -hmm. away, you know, yeah. take the effort to do what you can do. If it's reaching out, you know, through a phone call or through an internet conversation, show them they matter to, show them that you're thinking about. Them. I actually remember uh, my grandmother used to, um, she, she would live alone and she had a diary and every single day she would make one phone call to one person in her diary and cover everybody she knew over a year because if they weren't visiting her at least she knew that she was making sure she was talking to other people oh i love that that, that is <laughs> wonderful what a wonderful way to reach out and, and truly show your love and care for, care for some others in your life. yeah so kevin this was really great i mean i enjoyed everything that you said and it, it's so spirit-filled so if people want to reach out to you if they want to write to you if they want to look for your books uh, where can they find you online and where can they reach out to you my website is just drvost.com, just drvost.com, and I describe some of my books there. I don't, I don't sell them from there, but it has a comment box on the bottom. And if people have a question or comment for me, please feel free to use that, and I will respond. Great, thank you for joining us on our podcast. Thank you so much for for scheduling this at such a uh, you know uh, a late late notice, and uh, for being willing to talk to us about loneliness. So thank you so much, Kevin. Oh, you're most welcome. It's been my pleasure. God bless. Mm -hmm.